Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. So in this new series, we're looking together at who God is. We're looking together at how He is so unexpected. And finally, we're looking together at why that is such a very, very good thing. I want to welcome you to the Clemens campus, welcome you to the Sherwood Forest campus. Whatever campus you're in, we're glad you're here today as we begin to enter into a new series entitled God Unexpected. Now, this series is going to be one in which I'm hoping and I'm praying that God is going to do a fresh work in the lives of his people here at Center Grove. I'm praying that God is going to give us an opportunity to see him as he is in some fresh new ways. And wherever it is that we need to come back to him, wherever it is that we need to if you will, reclaim him as he is, that we will do that. And that in seeing him and knowing him better, we will love him more. I want you to uh, take your Bibles. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. As you came into the Sherwood Forest campus, you find Bibles available for you at the entrance there. Uh, if you are in the Clemens campus, you'll find Bibles available, worship Bibles available for you underneath the seat in front of you or underneath you if you are in the uh, raised seating or if you're sitting on a front row. Page 776 is where you'll find Micah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. 776. Now, I want you to notice with me, look at verse 1. You'll notice how Micah begins this letter. Micah introduces himself, tells a little bit about himself, and then moves quickly to begin to talk about who God is, what he wants, and what he's after. Now, you'll notice with me in verse 1, he spends only about three-quarters of a verse talking about himself, which is indicative of how serious he took his role, his work as a prophet of God, a prophet who is one, is one who speaks the messages of God to God's people. And uh, Micah says, I, I, the word of God came to me, the message of God came to me to share. And uh, he introduces himself as Micah of Morasheth, which means I'm a um, small town boy sent to the big city of Jerusalem. I was minding my own business, living in a little backwater town when God called me to go and speak to Jerusalem. I want you to notice as well that uh, as he sets all of this up, he's telling us when his uh, work as a prophet took place. There are a number of kings that he served. It was about 40 to 50 years that he served. So he saw a lot of change, and he lived in a time of change. We know from the kings that he mentioned that he lived in the 8th century. Now, toward the end of the 8th century B.C. What that meant was that he was living in a nation, the nation of Judah, that was wealthy, that had wealth to an excess, but also a nation that was constantly under threat from powers outside, particularly the bloodthirsty, notorious Assyrians who uh, were uh, noted for their uh, brutality 
and their great power. They were coming, they were coming, they were coming. And so you had this, this uh, great overflow of wealth on the one hand and this uncertainty on the outside as well. That was the nation in which Micah worked and served and brought the message of God. His message was primarily to the nation of Judah, but it was also about the nation of Samaria. The nation of Israel had been split into two nations. He was from Judah. The uh, uh, capital was Jerusalem. Uh, Samaria's capital was Samaria, and uh, the northern and the southern kingdoms uh, were split and divided, yet there was a word for God's people in both places, and that's what we find in Micah. Now, having said that, having set that up, let's take a look together. At this passage, Micah chapter 1, let's begin at verse 2, and uh, hear what God has Micah delivered to his people. I'm warning you, you know how there are always warnings before, uh, this is really strong stuff, so I'm just, I'm just warning you. I don't know what it's rated, uh, but um, probably, you know, I don't know, R for violence. Uh, but um, anyway, this is pretty strong stuff, so just beware. All right, here we go. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All of this, why? For the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and will uncover her foundations. All of her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." For this, Micah says, I will lament and wail, and I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound, Samaria's wound, is incurable. And it has come or spread to Judah. It has reached even to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Now, if we could hear this passage with the ears of those who first heard it, we would understand it immediately. Immediately, we would understand that what we're hearing is a summons to court. Uh, The peoples of the world have been charged with a crime, and all of the peoples of the world are being summoned to stand before God in his court. And God is acting as the ultimate judge. He's acting as the prosecutor, and he's acting as the star witness. He's bringing the grave charges against the people. This is so uh, a, a celestial courtroom in a way, only in that God is there. 
but, but it, is, it is a courtroom nonetheless, and one that brings great fear and great dread. This is the God who sees all, knows all, hears all, remembers all. Come. I'll never forget the first time I learned the power of God's uh, omniscience. It came uh, with the help of my mother. I was about five years old, and uh, my, one of my chores as a five-year-old was to get the can opener, open the cat food, and uh, get that cat food out and put it in the bowl for the cat in the, at the back porch. That was my job at five years old. Well, it was not a job I liked because I didn't like jobs and because the cat food had a particular odor about it that caused it to be less than a, um, well, preferred job to have. And uh, she told me to get the can, and she told me to feed the cat. And so, you know, I got the can opener, got the, opened up the can, and took it over to the cat. Well, my sister was with me, and not enjoying this, this assignment that I'd been given and wanting to make something positive and, and, and um, enjoyable out of it, as I was scooping it out and putting it in the cat's bowl, I turned and I looked at my sister Becky, and I said, Dove, you ever tasted this stuff? I had a little bit of a mean streak in me. I did. She said, no. I said, really? As if mom and dad had been hiding this from us for years, the, the secret of the cat food. I said, really? I said, oh. Then I, I lied. I said, it's good. And I took a big pinch and I put it almost up to my lips and went, mmm, so good. Don't you want to try some? And she said, yeah. She was a little gullible. She said, yeah. She was four. She said, yes. And she tried it. Well, let's just say it was a surprise, all the bones and the mushy kind of fish. Yeah. I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, there appeared my mother. I don't know how it is, and I don't know why it is, but God has given mothers this incredible capacity to know when you're doing something wrong you should not be doing. And there she stood. She was not happy. I thought surely she would see the humor in what had just happened because actually to me it was very, very funny. To her, not so much. So there she was, judge, prosecutor, and she delivered the verdict. Do you know what the verdict was? There was a twofold verdict. Number one, since it was so funny and it tasted so good, I had to have some myself. <laughs> and I, I kid you not, I can taste that cat food to this very day. Bones and all, I can taste it. And secondly, she gave me a spanking. You say, I don't believe in spankings. If you had me as a son, you would believe in spankings. All right, now do you get the picture? <laughs> the God who sees all, the God who knows all, the God who remembers all has come, and all the world is gathered together to stand before him. 
God begins to speak, and he begins to speak to the world through Micah. And he does for the world, and he does for you and me what only God can do. He begins to say to the world, he begins to say to you and to me, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I'm after, ultimately, in my world. But he also does something else for us here that we can miss if we're not careful. He also shows us how it is that he can get lost, even to those who profess to be his people. He can become lost to them, while at the same time they think they still have him. And so today I want to speak to you about how it is that God can be lost. And then next week we want to look together at how it is that God is found and then God can be restored again. Our religious situation is not uh, unlike Micah's situation. Uh, The nation of Judah, the nation of Samaria were both very religious nations. They lived in a very religious world. We live in a very religious world. Uh, Not too long ago, uh, the Pew Research Center did a major study, and uh, the Washington Post picked up on that and and ran an article entitled, entitled, The World is Becoming More Religious, Not Less. The results of the study was that uh, the world is increasingly being dominated by Christians and Muslims, that Christianity is exploding in sub-Saharan Africa, in China, in other parts of the world, that uh, men and women are coming to faith in Christ, Muslim, uh, Islam is growing as well, and that uh, secularism or secularists, those who believe that only, only what we can see, taste, touch, and feel exists, ultimately there is no God, their percentage of the global population is actually shrinking, which is a bit of a surprise to those of us in the States because we assume that religion everywhere is dying, but part of their research uh, revealed that actually, while Christianity is on the decline in America and in the West, the decline is coming from those who are nominal Christians. Um, they uh, have been described in the past as CEO Christians, Christian Christmas, Easter, and other times, uh, with, a, with a nominal commitment to Christ. Uh, those are the ones who are drifting away from the faith, but in all reality, devoted followers of Christ, the number of devoted followers of Christ in the United States is actually growing. It's not declining. The reason the numbers are declining is because the nominals are becoming nuns, no religious affiliation at all. So we, we live in a very religious age. We live in a very religious world. Now here, here's what that means though, and here's what's happening in our own culture as well as in the world. There are all kinds of views of God out there, and there are many different views of God that are actually professed and announced or declared by people who profess to be Christians. If you lived in the United States, which you do, if you live in the United States here and now, one of the things that uh, you could be excused for is being confused about what Christians actually believe because you have people who profess to to, uh, uh, have faith in Christ who are portraying God one way and others who are portraying him in ways that are diametrically opposed. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the United States, you can be forgiven for not really understanding who it is 
that Christians worship and what that God is actually like. Part of that confusion actually permeates churches that uh, would maintain they have a firm commitment to the Bible as the Word of God. And I want you to see how that is and why that is today as we make our way through Micah chapter 1. Now, in our passage, Micah shows us, as we ask this question, when and how does God get lost? This is what we want to explore. Micah shows us in this passage, verses 1 through 9, how God is lost, and then how a lost God is found, and finally, how a found God is restored. Because this is so important for our series, we're going to start right here, and I want to invite you to look with me beginning at verse 2. We'll visit verses 5, 6, and 7 along the way as well. But let's look together at how the God of the universe actually gets lost and can get lost to you and to me. Again, verse 2, hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And so here is the world standing before God. God calls them to hear and pay attention, to give specific attention to all that he is about to say. The seriousness of this call is seen in uh, the name that Micah uses to announce the one who is speaking. Do you see it? It is the Lord God. The Lord God. Now watch. Lord, as Micah uses it here, is the word for Yahweh, which God used to introduce himself in the book of Exodus. Yahweh means I am that I am. Say that with me. I am that I am. Let's say it again. I am that I am. It also means I will be what I will be. Let's say that. I will be what I will be. I am that I am, I will be what I will be. Now, that's an interesting name for God to give himself, but an important one, watch, because God is saying, I am a God who does not change. I am the God who determines what my character is. I'm the God who determines what my purpose is. I'm the God who determines what I will do with my creation. I am that I am, I will be what I will be, and nothing can change me. I am the unchanging God. I am the unchanging God. What this means is that God has no need for identity politics or identity theologies. He doesn't need anyone to affirm who he is, to confirm that he has value or worth. He doesn't need anyone to speak to him and to make him God or to reinforce his divinity. He says simply, I am. I am. Now, my existence, my character are all determined by me alone. So this, this God, and this is the picture that I want you to see, this, this God who speaks to the world is, is independent of his world. I am creator, sustainer of all. Coming from my holy temple, bringing words of witness. I see all, I know all, I hear all, I forget nothing. Here I am. Now I want you to notice something. 
verses 1 through 4, Micah's original hearers are going, yeah, yeah, look, look at this. Yeah, God, this God is powerful. He is unchanging. Look, look at verses 2, 3, and 4. He comes. He comes with power. He has this kind of a seismic, cataclysmic coming. And uh, you can just hear uh, <laughs> Micah's original hearers. They would have been from Judah, from Jerusalem. They're going, yeah. They're looking at each other going, I like this new prophet. We need to bring some friends and come back. This guy's good. This guy's good. See, God is coming. And they're thinking, Assyrians, you better watch out. <laughs> you think you're so powerful. Well, you hadn't seen anything yet. We're God's people. Our God is coming. He's going to call you to account. You better watch out. You may be brutal. You may be bloodthirsty. He's coming. I like this guy. Remind me to watch this again. Online, this is good. This is so good. Oh. And then all of a sudden, verse five, and they're going, What? Do you see verse five? What? What? Do you see verse five? What? what? Uh, you, you got, whoa, 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 whoa. He was doing so well. What do you mean? He's starting with us. What? Samaria and Jerusalem? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wrong God. Wrong God. You were on the right track, but you took a turn at verse 5. You got the wrong God. That's not my God. My God doesn't do that kind of thing. Whoa, wait a minute. We're God's people. It's okay for you to talk that way about the Assyrians, but it's not okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got the wrong God. You got the wrong. That's not my God. Hey, listen, listen. We worship him all the time. We offer sacrifices all the time. Do you not see how religious we are? All the time. I don't know who this guy thinks he needs to go back to the country. Country bumpkin. Coming here to Jerusalem and talking to us that way. He doesn't even know who God is. Hmm. Look, look, look at verses 5 and 7. God's gotten lost. How? Verse 5 says, transgression and sin. Verse 7 says, idolatry and religious prostitution. Okay? All right? All right? But, 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 how about we unpack that? Let's unpack that. Transgression means rebellion. Transgression means a, a breaking free from God, a breaking free of God and his will, his desires. Sin is a falling short of God's plan and God's laws for life. So, so they broke free of God and they strayed from God's plan, his laws for life. How did they do that? Well, verse 7 tells us specifically, idolatry and prostitution. And this is key. I don't want you to miss this. 
God has gotten lost to his own people, we discover, as they rebelled against him, got free of him as he showed himself to be, as they neglected his word and then went on their own way, eventually remaking him. How? By confusing, don't miss this, his worship and his identity with that of an idol. All right, all right, all right, all right. What, what idol would that have been? Well, in Micah's day, it would have been uh, Baal or Baal. Baal or Baal had a consort named Ashtoreth. And uh, Baal was the Canaanite god of war and the Canaanite god of fertility. And the idea was that in order for the land, the harvest to come in and to be fruitful, Ashtoreth and Baal had to get together. There you go. They had to get together. And that consequently, worship of Baal and Ashtoreth would include uh, a visit to a prostitute, male or female, at Baal's shrine. Did I put that delicately? Have I done all right? Well, that was the Canaanite God. It's a pretty attractive God because it, he not only recognized the need for uh, sexual intimacy, but he puts no limits on it. And actually says spiritually in his eyes, this is a good thing. No, no sexual limits, no sexual boundaries. And he says, if you will worship me, I will make you wealthy because I will multiply your harvest. I, I, will, I will make sure that your harvests are rich and full if you will follow and obey me. So, so what have we got here? We've got sex and we've got money. Very, very attractive things. Now, think with me just for a moment. Yahweh, the creator God, he affirms sex within marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah. And uh, he affirms that harvests are good things, but he doesn't promise you always have a great harvest. Here we have Baal. Oh, my goodness, everything you ever wanted. At your weakest moment or whatever, he says, go for it. I'll make you wealthy and, and you just satisfy your, your sexual uh, drives or whatever any way you want to. What happened? Israel said, you know what? This Yahweh, this I am that I am, he needs a little improvement. He needs to be a little more like Baal. <laughs> I, I kind of prefer this God. I mean, I mean Yahweh's fine. You know, I mean, he's the God of our fathers. But this is really, I mean, yeah. I mean, this makes more sense to me. Does this not make more sense to you? And everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So eventually, to simplify the matter, the worship of Baal and the worship of Yahweh was merged and then mixed so that so much so that in the end, they couldn't tell the difference between Yahweh and Baal. Yahweh was Baal, Baal was Yahweh. They had remade God. And he had gotten lost to them. 
they didn't see him anymore as he really was. Watch now. They were seeing him as they wanted him to be. And continue to worship him. And so when verse 4 turned into verse 5, they're going, what are you talking about? So watch this. Effectively. By effectively remaking Yahweh into a God they wanted, they created a God who wanted what they wanted, and they were able to spiritualize what Yahweh had once called sin and now make it his will. God, it changed. By neglecting what God had said about himself, I am that I am. I don't change. I, I will be what I will be by neglecting God's self-revelation, his manifestation of who he really is, and then rejecting who God showed himself to be. They set themselves up to remake him. Neglect his word. Reject part of all of, of who he is in favor of something we think is an improvement or better, and thus Remaking him. Do you see the pattern? That is how God gets lost. And this was true in spite of the fact that they continued to worship him. They continued to pray to him. They continued to sacrifice to him. And I think you begin to see with me just for a moment why it is that the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, stresses the fact that he is the one true God. Jesus' high priestly prayer in, in John 17, he, he, he says, Lord, I have shown them to you, the one true God. John says, in this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That the God they call God, what is important is that the God that is called God be the God that is, the God who has revealed himself as he is, and that that God is not the same God as the God we want him to be. See, I wanted a mother who could let, let me entice my sister to eat cat food and then give me cookies and warm, or cold milk and warm cookies. That's what I wanted. Until my sister gives me cat food, then I want, you know. Are you with me? Neglect. Some level of rejection. You're not quite the God I want, not quite the God I expected, not quite the God I was looking for. I need something more refashioning. Three steps. And we see this in our culture. Progressive Christianity takes current culture, mixes it with the worship of Christ, and we get an all-inclusive, all-loving, never-judging, forever friend, BFF Jesus. 
fundamentalists and traditionalist Christians mix the worship of the past with the worship of Christ and create a kind of Jesus who is long on rules, short on grace, patrolman who never stops, prosecutor who only seems to, not only seems to hate sin, but hate sinners. Evangelical Christians, which is what we are, can mix the worship of self-esteem with the worship of Jesus and turn him into a kind of divine life coach. Jesus is here to help me have a better life. We evangelicals can mix the worship of money with the worship of Jesus, and he becomes our financial advisor and our financial multiplier, and we look to him to give us wealth and uh, we evangelicals can take the worship of marriage and the worship of family and mix it with the worship of Jesus so that he becomes kind of our family therapist, making sure that our kids turn out right and our marriages stay healthy. And so we worship the God who makes our kids turn out right and keeps our marriages healthy or who keeps our bodies healthy. The great danger that Micah is beginning to unpack is this, that we all have the tendency, whether we're God's people or not, we all have this tendency to make God what we think he should be rather than receiving him as the God that he is. We can take individual Bible verses, scattered verses here and there, and make it appear as if God is this God. You can find churches and pastors who will reinforce what you want to have said about God. The problem, of course, is that the God we come to expect is not a God who really exists, and that God eventually will fail us. I've met a lot of people who were disappointed with God, and when I was young, I tried to defend the God of the Bible, and it never quite worked, and I never could figure out why until I came to the realization that for many of them, who are disappointed with God, were ready to give up on God, the God that they were disappointed with and ready to give up on did not exist. He was a mixture of truth from the Bible and expectations they had put on him or truths that they'd gathered from somewhere else. They had lived worshiping a God, for example, who never lets you get sick and never gives you a, get, let's, uh, hard things or tough things come into your life. That God doesn't exist. But if you're living for him and worshiping him and disease comes, tragedy comes, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to be going, that's not what you promised. But we're shouting at an empty heaven. So 
All the peoples of the world, even God's own people, can make the critical common mistake of assuming that God can be made, fashioned into the God that they want, the God that they think they need, instead of the God that is. In the opening of the Bible, the Scripture portrays humanity, you and me, being shaped and fashioned in the image of God, to love Him and to serve Him. Perhaps the great human error of errors is that made in the image of God to love and serve Him, we have come to try to remake God in our image so that He loves and ultimately serves us. And that God will fail us every single time. So when and how does God get lost? The Scripture tells us, Micah teaches us right out of the gate, God gets lost when we neglect Him and we reject Him as the God that He is and replace Him with the God we want Him to be. A.W. Tozer writes that no life rises any higher than its view or its understanding of God. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. We tend to a secret law of the soul toward whatever it is that we envision God to be or to represent. An important question becomes this. Does your God, whoever your God is, does your God always tell you what you want to hear? Or does your God tell you some things you don't want to hear in spite of the fact that you don't want to hear it? John uh, Stone Street of the Colson Center says, and I quote, if your God never tells you to do anything you don't want to do, your God is probably in the end you. If your God never tells you to do anything you don't want to do, your God in the end is probably you. We take the God that is, neglect him, reject him, refashion him according to our preferences. Do you see what's happening when that, when that begins? I'm actually putting myself, watch, above what I call God, selecting qualities and traits for him that I think he should have, which effectively makes me God. So I want to ask you a question. Is, is your God the I am revealed in the Bible? Or is he a more agreeable version? 
Does your God find it easy to give you passes on things that the God of the Bible won't give you passes on? Does he let you get by with envy and jealousy, deceit, and say it's okay for you because he understands? Or does your God hold you accountable when those things are present in your life? Does he give you a pass? Or is there accountability? It's a good indication as to who your God just might be. Is your God more interested in your happiness or your holiness? Perhaps that is the question of questions. Is he working to make sure you're happy? Or does your God work to make sure you're holy? And by holy, I mean like Jesus. Why are you here? What, God, are you here to meet? One whose aim is to make you happy or one whose aim is to make you holy? Do you know what I've discovered? I actually came to know Christ about the time I was doing those terrible things with cat food. It's probably a good thing. But can, can I tell you something? As I look back on my life, I realize that uh, my, my walk with Christ, if, if I could sum it up, my walk with Christ really in so many ways can be described as getting rid of false notions about who God is and applying true notions that I've discovered in his word over time. And what I've found is that as, I, as I've Chosen, and I haven't been perfect in this, but as I've chosen not to neglect his word, as I've chosen to accept who he is rather than rejecting and trying to reshape him, that the net result for me has been a wonderful discovery. God is more than I ever dreamed God could be. And he does greater things than I could ever envision. And the God that I thought I wanted and needed is literally 
nothing like the God that is. And it is such a good thing. Okay, can I tell you a secret? Okay. This is only, only for Sherwood and for Clemens here now. Here we go. Y'all ready? I'll give you a sneak peek into next week's sermon. The way the lost God gets found starts with him finding us. And the coming that we see recorded in Micah 1 is not the way God starts out to find us. It's the way he ends up finding us and coming to us when we don't listen. But on the front end, we find God when he is lost by his coming to us and saying to us, I am that I am, and I don't change, but I'm here to invite you to come back to me as I am because I made you for myself, and you will never be happy or satisfied until you have all of me as I really am. The more I think about it, the, the more grateful I am that God is not me. Because I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that if my God had been like me, I would have been done with me a long time ago. But because he is the God of the unexpected. When he comes, he comes not to be done with us. He comes to deliver us. When he comes, he doesn't come to be done with us as we are. He comes to deliver us from what we are. I am so glad God is not me because if he were, I would have no hope. But because he is not the God that I expect and because he is not the God that I would be, I can have hope. I do have hope. There is a tomorrow because God is the great I am. He does not change. And that's why I've learned to expect the unexpected from this unchanging God. And even when it goes from verse 4 to verse 5, and he says, all right, courts, you're up first. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Oh, no, 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 no. Go, get over there. Putin needs your help. Hey, hey. Have you seen Russia? No, no, Court, you're up first. Do you notice how I stayed out of American politics? I mentioned nobody. <laughs> nobody. I'm, I'm pretty safe. There might be one or two Russian nationals here, but beyond that, I'm pretty safe. 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 Security team, are you here? I'm pretty safe. I'm pretty safe. No, 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 courts. You. You're up. I, I need to speak with you. You're up. I know all. I see all. I remember all. Courts, you're up. Let's talk. How about you? Come back to me. Not as you want me to be. But as I really am. Let's pray together. Father God, there have been so many times when I have gotten you wrong and you have been so faithful to come to me and offer yourself to me as you are without being done with me. And you have delivered me, and I am so very grateful. And Lord God, there are many, many others here in, in uh, worship today who, as they look back on their lives, I'm, I'm sure can see and say the very same thing. But Father, we look to the present, and we hear you call us forward. We hear you call our names. And you ask us to step forward and you ask us about the idols in our own lives, the things that we've taken, that we wanted, and that we've mixed with the worship of who you are. We've refashioned you and called you God. And because you will not share your glory with another, you come to us with gravity and yet with mercy. And you call us again to yourself. Father, here's my prayer. Move in our church in a fresh way. Move in the hearts of individuals in a fresh way. There are men and women today in this room, students Today in this room, men and women and students at Sherwood Forest right here, right now, who know in their heart of hearts that there is an idol they have set up next to you or cannot tell any difference from you. And today you've spoken to their hearts. And today they need to tear the idol down before you do. Because Micah assures us, you will. Not out of hatred for us, but God, because you love us. And we were meant for no other God 
but the true God, you, the great I am. Work here, I pray, in Jesus' name. Work. Set us free of our idols. Amen. Just stand all across the room. I want so badly for our vision to be clear, for us to see God as He is, so we might know Him as He is, and so that we might in fresh ways love Him and serve Him with joy and passion, confidence and boldness in a world that doesn't understand Him and never will unless they actually see Him in us. Really important for us to see him clearly. I want to invite our prayer partners to come. You know, God may be speaking to your heart. You, you may be a believer today, but you realize that there are some things in your life that are not quite right. These are not confessors for you to confess to. But these are folks who will pray with you. You may just say, hey, I've got, a, got an issue on the job. I've got an issue with a family. I've got, got a matter with, 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 in my marriage. I, I've got a personal struggle in my heart of some things that I'm loving that I shouldn't be loving. That's all you need to say. And let them pray with you. Perhaps today you realize that, that the reality is you've never given your life to the great I am in Christ Jesus. The prayer is that, that, that men and women would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's, when we see Jesus, we see who the Father is, unvarnished and in his love and mercy and grace and his opposition to sin. And we see in Christ his willingness to come. Beautiful thing about Jesus. <laughs> Fathers judge and prosecutor and key witness. Jesus is the condemned taking our punishment in our place so that we might be saved. I keep giving away next week's sermon. Please come back. Please come back. But I invite you to come. If you're ready to give your life to Christ for the first time, I invite you to come. We'd be glad to help you find your way to him. Ladies, we have ladies here for you. Men, we have men. You come. As we begin to focus our hearts and minds on knowing this king who is the king of majesty. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.